to the Apostle Frederick Kaluluma podcast channel. Apostle Frederick is the senior pastor of the City of the Lord Church, and he has been anointed by God with a message that will take you deeper in your walk with Christ. We have the mission to bring hope to the hopeless, and we seek to build a community of believers founded on faith and walking in love until the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, if you would like to officially join the City of the Lord Church and get access to pastoral care, counsel, and one-on-one sessions with the man of God, fill in the form in the link below the podcast description. Now, here comes today's powerful word. It is your word. So grab your Bibles, pens, and notepads as we join Apostle Frederick from the City of the Lord Church in Lusaka, Zambia. Be blessed. The Valley of So let me tell you how, how that sermon was birthed. There was a day I was praying and I felt led to read the book of Joel. And as I was reading it, my spirit was really attracted to Joel 3.14, which says, Multitudes, multitudes, valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near the valley of decision. Amazing. The day of the Lord is near the valley of decision. You know, everything will come down to decisions. And so I never took it. I, I heard it and, okay, amazing. Uh, then one time I'm counseling someone and it reminded me of a lot of counseling sessions. Now the thing is I was a bit tired during the counseling session, so I was like dozing off. So to keep myself awake, I got my guitar. Don't try that at home. Me, I was home, so I was counseling from home. So I got my guitar and the session was full of what should I do? This one is saying do this. This one is saying do this. So to entertain myself, I got the guitar and said, Dum, so what should I do? And when they said, and then this one told me maybe I should do this. I went, am I doing this for me? Or am I doing this for you? <laughs> <laughs> it was entertaining and I <laughs> I went ahead and decided to exercise a little bit of creativity here and there and wrote a song called Valley of Decisions which I think we did with Yam right and um, funniest song I've ever written by the way okay not the funniest funniest song you know let's put it like that and to their others and we shared on the value of decision and this is what we shared we shared that decision is an actual process of deciding something and we mentioned that what makes the value of decisions so complicated is that your life is a product of decisions some made by others some made by you there are some decisions other people made on your behalf that you don't like and then there are some decisions you made that actually may or may not like. Okay, is that my cable? Or another one? Okay. Now, in essence, our rewards in heaven 
will be as a result of the decisions we made. God will reward you based on your decisions. Not necessarily based on what happened to you, but on how you responded to what happened to you. So in essence, our destiny and everything about us can be summed up in decisions. And we talked about some things to watch out for, and one of them was fear. And you know how, did I talk about it? I did, eh? We shared how God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if you find yourself in fear, it has come from somewhere. It hasn't come from God. Sometimes it's fear of man. Sometimes it's fear of failing. Sometimes it's fear of being unique. You know how everyone wants to be unique? There are others who are afraid to be unique. Sometimes it's fear of being like everybody else. And in my experience with people, I've come to realize that one of the biggest fears is actually fear of man. Majority of people walk around with an imaginary audience in their head. And that audience either repeats everything they've ever heard, sometimes makes up things, sometimes exaggerates things, maybe sometimes even underrates things. Like some people think the whole world likes them. Like, no, to be fair, there are some people who think they are popular when they are not. <laughs> and then there are others who think the whole world hates them. Listen, I, I do a lot of counseling. I do a lot of counseling. I can bet you at least, at least in the last 11 years, at least 50 times, at least 50 times, as a bare minimum, at least 50 times I've heard a lady say, every man has rejected me. Now, for starters, me who was hearing that has never asked them out in the first place. <laughs> so, already there's a challenge with that equation. And then when you ask, you find that it's usually two or three. Now, the same two or three is quite hard and I'm not demeaning how they feel about the two or three, but the weight of seven billion people compared to the weight of three people might be a little different. And here's the thing, even if, a, let, let's say a person says, every man in this world has rejected me. Imagine what demonic spirits can now attack them and they will try to push the weight of three or four billion men, whatever, whatever number they are, on one person. I'm telling you. So there's that aspect of decisions. And like I said, a lot of people have got an audience in their head. And, you know, to be fair, there are certain aspects of humanity we can't remove from ourselves. We are all slightly a little bit competitive. Um, we can give you to wear the same uniform you will try to add a touch. <laughs> I've heard people get upset if they go for a function and find somebody else in the same outfit. <laughs> On the other hand, I had to start toning down when I go for functions. I was once asked if I was the groom. <laughs> so I, I, from that day, 
from that day, I made it a law for myself. Don't address the groom. <laughs> so right now, if I was going for a wedding, I would remove the chain and I would remove the clip at least. And then I, I don't think I would wear purple. I think now when I go out, it's either black, gray, blue. I'm serious. I, I, I learned because not all grooms are blessed <laughs> in, in the area of decision making. <laughs> no. <laughs> How else do you know they needed a wife? So, anyways, let's continue. <laughs> no, at, at least I've given you free lessons, right? That just don't try your best not to address the group. Now, like I said, our life is a product of decisions. Um, there are people I would have been very close friends with right now, but they did or they said something I didn't like, or I did and or said something they didn't like, and it's just never been the same again. And that's the challenging thing about being an adult, is that your decisions actually matter, you know? They matter a bit more than when you're a kid. Because it's now you to make some of them. And of course, it starts at a younger age. But as you grow older, I think decision-making gets... Okay, so as you grow older, decision-making gets a little more complicated, can get a little more... Some decisions can have permanent effects. They can have permanent effects. When you are making that decision to, to slide into the DM. <laughs> People don't walk into DMs, apparently. You slide. <laughs> and you said, today as you are worshipping in church, you looked cute. And that decision you made, you may never be able to take it back. I'm serious. You may never be able to take it back. Never. And then if I ask you about it two months later, you shouldn't tell me, these people are just all over me. Are you serious? There are some decisions you made, some things you said, and they are causing a certain effect. And I think the other complicated part about decisions is that our decisions actually affect others. So let's look at it. You know, I've not yet started. I'll start from a revelatory part, and then I'll just give you a few keys. As we're worshiping, there's something that I heard God speak to me. And he said, decision-making is one of the biggest components of dominion. If you are to study development, and look at it from the three objectives of development. One of them is freedom. And if you had to study freedom from a developmental perspective, freedom is not necessarily uh, walking outside without chains. It's being in a position to make decisions for yourself. So in short, if you can't decide that today I want chicken, tomorrow I want carpenter, the next day, I want Mutesa. Mitesa. I tried. <laughs> yeah, the next day, I want Mitesa. And then the next day, I want Finkubala. And then the next day, I feel like Tibon. Then in development studies, if you can't decide that, 
then we'll think there's a challenge. If it has to be, like, think by, not by choice, but it's the only thing. And it's the only, it's like your decision is limited between fried <laughs> or sorted. Then in development studies, then there's a challenge. It means we need to get you to a higher place of freedom. And really, even when it comes to the ministry of deliverance, that's what we're trying to get Christians to. A place where they are free to make choices. So, in essence, decision-making is a sign of dominion. And I can show you from the scriptures. In Genesis 1 verse 1, and I want you to see it from the King James Version, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the... Why were you saying in the beginning? In the beginning, in your head. I heard it. In your head, you were saying that. So we should stop quoting that verse now. <laughs> okay, so Poyamba. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Guys, it's in the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. Now, if you read that from... If you read Genesis 1 verse 1 and Genesis 1 verse 2, especially from the Hebrew... Look at verse 2. It says, the earth was formless and void. Now, if you read it from the Hebrew context, the word there, and you can actually go and look at it if you want. The word for was is like the tense is describing became. The tense is describing became. That's why if you're using an NIV Bible, for those who use physical ones, there's probably a footnote on the word was. And if you go to the bottom, it probably says, or possibly became. Now, there's a school of theology, and I'm part of that school, that believes that there was a pre-Adamic age. And I believe that there are so many pictures of it all throughout the scriptures. And the Bible is very interesting because... Um, Genesis is a very good summary, but there are some things that you discover happened which you can only find in Revelations. And there was war in heaven. The dragon and the angels fought against. When did that happen? Because Jesus already said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, when did that happen? Have you ever read them? Where it talks about how Lucifer was uh, son of the morning star, how he had all these things about him and he was a boast and then he fell. There is a very strong thought and I'm one of them that something happened in between Genesis 1 verse 1 and Genesis 1 verse 2 and the solution was man. I'll show you. Go to verse 28. Perhaps the more contemporary versions have lessened a bit of what God said. So I want you to see it from the authorized King James Version. Verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make human beings. Let them be like us and let them resemble us. Let them have dominion over the fish of the, uh, of the, of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals, and every creeping thing. Right? Then verse 27, so God created man. The first thing he created was man in his own image. And then in the image of God, he created he, him. 
So out of man was brought forth a he, a him, and then male and female, he created he, them. Okay, let's continue. Let's not go on that one. Verse 28. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish. It doesn't say plenish. It says replenish. To replenish means to fill again. To replenish means to restore something to a place that it was at. But that's a story for another day. That's where now when the evolutionists come to argue with us about what happened before man, we've actually found a few answers from the Bible. Maybe one of these days we'll share. I'm telling you, if you do certain studies, it will answer all your questions. What about the dinosaurs? Were they there? What about this? What about this? What about that? But there was a plenished earth. Now, interestingly, the manifestation of this dominion, the first manifestation of this dominion was decision-making. Genesis 2 Genesis 1 seems to give us a summary and Genesis 2 seems to give us a bit of an expanded version. When you read Genesis 2, I want you to see something. Let's read your favorite verse, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Now, I want you to know at this point, What's the man's, what's the name that we've come to know the man as? Adam, right? And we are not so sure really if that was his name or it was his title. Because Adam really means man and like from the earth. So we're not so sure if it was his name or his title. You'll be shocked to go to heaven and use his other name. <laughs> okay? That's why the Bible can say the first Adam, the second Adam. And in case you didn't know, even for the lady, her initial name was not Eve. Let's look. Next verse. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Dominion. The first aspect of dominion is God told Adam, make decisions. Men are the ones who decided this is a lion. We're the ones who decided this is an elephant. We're the ones, who, I don't know how we came up with the name ostrich, but we're the ones who decided this is hippopotamus. <laughs> Let's go on. And Adam gave names to all cattle, the fowl of the air, every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. I just wanted to show you that her name was... Let's, next verse. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Uh -huh. And the rib which the Lord had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Continue. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then in Genesis 3, after the 4, you notice he called her Eve. But let's continue with the scriptures. Now, in Genesis 1, I really, I want to go more on decisions. You'll notice that after God 
made man, he rested. He rested. Now, resting in that sense does not mean he was sleepy. Because he doesn't sleep or slumber. But from the time he created man, there was no need for him to create anymore. Notice, he says, let them be like us, let them resemble us. Now, okay, fine, I've given them all the elements and they're like, watch what they'll do with the world. That's dominion. Man could now create this, create that, create this, create that. My, my point here is not really dominion. My point here is that decision-making is a sign of dominion. It's a component of dominion. Actually, a sign is even a, a, a low word. It's a fruit of dominion. When my daughter was born, the next day, I'm in the nurse's office and they asked me, what's her name? I asked when he clicked, like, ah, wait, it's me, eh? <laughs> and so I'm telling you, no one else, even if anyone else came and said, no, she looks like a, I think this one, with the color of the left eye and the way the fifth hair is straight, I think we can call this one this and this and this. Name. I said, no, it's, what, what I'm trying to say is that a manifestation of my dominion in that sense is the fact that Whatever I call her is what the government will recognize her as. Okay? But now, we are not talking about... Let me not go into Dominion Conference sermon. Because the trouble is that if I go into Dominion Conference sermon right now, you all start doing somersaults. The, the charge, as in... Have you ever received a boost? The charge that Dominion Conference will give you. The point here is... If... You're going to dominate in life. You're going to make decisions. Now, a few things about decisions which we're looking at today. Now, people handle decisions very differently. There are some people who, when it's time to make a decision, they gather others to help them make that decision. There are some people who their go-to place is other people. So sometimes that's why you find people who have like a clique or the farm, the homeboys. What do they call it? The blood. The what? What, what names do you guys call yourselves? Council of the Elders. Council of the Elders. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there are people who feel that decisions have to be made in that way. Like, let's call a family meeting and decide. Or let's call... Uh, haven't you noticed that? Everyone has got their way in which they handle this. Or maybe Apostle Fred will say, board meeting, emergency board meeting. We need to make a decision on ABCD. Because the reason why people do that is sometimes you just want to feel a bit of backup here and there. And to be fair, we all do that. The key is not to not do it. The key is to have the wisdom to know when. Why am I saying we all do that? I've got friends that I call when I have to make certain decisions. Sometimes you're hoping they can talk you out of it. Have you ever called someone because you really want them to talk you out of it? And then they agree with you. <laughs> and you're like, 
So, you're agreeing? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> now, one advantage of having like a group of people is there's safety. There's safety. Sometimes there's, there's safety in that. The disadvantage is that if you're not careful, even decisions you're supposed to make alone, you can get an opinion from someone who genuinely loves you but doesn't fully understand. Are you aware, ladies and gentlemen, that Joseph's brothers mocked him? But do you know that his father Jacob, of whom he was Jacob's favorite, also asked, like, ah, so are you saying your mother, me, will all bow down to you? So meaning it's not always that if people love you, they will fully understand you. Joseph was Jacob's favorite, but Jacob never understood that aspect of it. So it helps, it's good, but you have to learn when to manage it. And when it gets worse, where it gets worse is where you need the whole public to decide for you. I remember when I, I, was, I was going through memories, eh? on Facebook, and I found a post I did in 2013. And I posted, how was the WEM conference? What did you like? What didn't you like? And I remember the inboxes I got. You could have done this like this. You should have done this like this. No, you should have. You're too young to be the one doing it. Why don't you invite three guest speakers? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? I'm telling you, I got a lot of, some feedback was okay, but there's some feedback that I got which was based on people's experiences and the fact that they hadn't seen something like that before. And I realized at that point that I really just wanted to be like, you know, Zambia's pastor. Like, you know, you know what I mean? I wasn't planning to pastor a church, by the way. So I just thought I'd be like, you know, Zambia's pastor. Like, everyone just loves me. And I'm just invited to, like, every church to just bless the congregation. And everyone gets excited. Oh, it's Frederick this weekend. And I'll just be Zambia's pastor. Hey. <laughs> huh? The rude awakening I got. <laughs> so if, if you... And, and you know, like the public, public opinion is a big thing. If it wasn't, then advertising wouldn't be there. It's a really big thing. And you know, it has an effect even on you. It has an effect on all of us. So it's, it's not really about thinking it can't have an effect. It's about managing the extent to which it can. Why do I say so? Um, I remember one time I was, I was going home and my wife asked me to get some groceries. And when it came to getting a detergent, it wasn't necessarily my area of expertise. So what did I do? I got the one that looked familiar. How did it start looking familiar to me? I probably saw it when I was young. How would watch all the adverts? So it's the one that looked familiar. You usually, you decide to go for something that looks a bit familiar. Why did I first buy Fruticana? I liked the song. It would always come in between Zuba. <laughs> to an extent, we will all somewhat have some form of public influence on us. But how, how will you manage it? Does the whole world need to approve for you to decide?
There's a show on Disney Channel called Would You Rather, right? Stop pretending, I know you watch. And they give an opinion poll on every... I watched it by accident. So they give an opinion poll on everything. And I was thinking, this is actually happening in the world right now. Like, there, there are certain things that are too precious for the whole world to help you decide. I'll give you an example. Have you ever read the story of the woman and Elisha? Have you noticed that the woman, when she was asked by everyone, she responded what has become the famous song, It is well, it is well with my soul. And some believers have taken that as, apart from answering people it is well when they tell you they have issues, which by the way they don't like. I've never met a person who likes to be told it is well. I don't know, they don't like it. It is well. <laughs> Avoid that one. I'm going through this. this, this. It is well. <laughs> Worse off if you interrupt them while they are saying it. Um, <laughs> now, listen. Uh, there are some believers who've taken it as it means that whenever anything is going on, I should just say it is well, it is well and they'll quote scriptures on the power of confession. That's okay, but I think we've not fully finished the scripture. When you finish it, what she told Elisha was not it is well. When she reached Elisha, hey, she made a sin. Now, I'm not saying go make a sin, but I'm saying she knew who she could pour out her heart to and who deserved an it is well. Because some people, when they ask, they don't really care. They're just curious. You know this world needs entertainment. So don't, just try to ensure your life is not somebody's entertainment. That point may have sounded funny, but are you aware that there are people who ask you questions to entertain themselves? When there is nothing on Zambian kitchen parties, they look for something that can just, just like a story that can entertain them. So some people deserve an it as well. Which brings me to point number two of how people handle things. There are some people who handle things as I can do it by myself. Like, I know what I'm doing. And usually the I can do it by myself mentality is accompanied by isolation. I don't know if you get my point. Like, like as in you are hiding these secret powers and they keep telling you, conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. And then suddenly you discover that they know. So you just like let it go and, and just go build your own castle of ice. How you're not freezing, I don't know. But then at the end you realize that the code never bothered you anyway. So <laughs> No, I, I'm serious. I, I, you know, I realized it. Like, you, if there's any, if I'm to be like very honest with you all, if there's any I can relate with the most, it's that one. Like, as in, I'll be here working miracles and ABCD and, if, and people want to speak against me. Ha! I'll be like, you know what? I'll just do my thing. I'll go post a million miracles. Post this. After all, the anointing never bothered me anyway. <laughs> It doesn't satisfy. But here's the thing. Like I said, I'll be honest with you. It's one of the ones that, for me as Frederick, I had serious challenges with. Because 
if I encountered a challenge, my initial thought was retreat, don't show weakness. How can I handle this? Now, that has saved the church a lot because if I used to show my face over everything that went wrong, there are some people who you would have come especially when you're a leader, you can't no matter how much people tell you saying, no, in life, just show yourself anyhow. The fact of the matter is there are moments that need at least one person to be strong. That's a fact. It's a fact. And it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why I've had a... Eh, should I go there? It's one of the reasons why I've had a challenge with... Okay. It's one of the reasons why I've had a challenge with the thoughts that have been coming out, which are, in essence, fighting men being men. In essence. Let me give you, let me give you, let me just, this one, you can take it as what Paul said. This is I. Let me give you my view on that. You know, if you're going to describe something if you're going to describe toxic masculinity, then you should also give a definition of what proper masculinity is. Because masculinity exists. The fact is, the gentlemen have more testosterone. It's a fact. It's there. It exists. You can't remove it. It's there. It's there. It's there. You can see it from the football games. No matter how much we try, watch. No, let's be honest, guys. Watch men's football. It's more physical. It's a fact. It's a fact. It's just the way they are. It's a fact. And then on the other hand, there's the whole notion about, look, the trouble is men don't open up and men are not crying and men ABCD and all that kind of stuff. Now, let me just, like I said, let me give you my honest perspective of that. Number one, that view is coming from a very good observation that for years, many men have held so many things on the inside and they've not had, and they've not found safe spaces. But something that we fail to ignore is that it's not, it's not that, I think, we should have more open spaces for them and safe spaces. But let's not remove the fact that in history and in the present, their toughness has helped societies. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you this. I'll give you an example. Daughter's about to be born, right? One or two challenges here and there. If I decided at that moment to be as emotional as my wife, what would happen? No, seriously, in that moment, somebody had to be the strong one. And when she needed strength, she would turn and look at me. Now, if she needed strength, turn and look at me, and I'm also like, So what's my point there? My point is, let's not, let's not make men feel bad for the fact that they've, sometimes they've had to stand when no one is standing. Listen, 
Sometimes they've had to do that. But instead, let's create spaces for them to breathe. That's what I think. Because I can tell you something. <laughs> and, and by the way, it's not just men alone. Everyone. I can tell you something. There are times I've sat down with my mom and I've asked questions about when we were younger. And do you know that there are some things that you went through that you never knew that you went through as a family? Because your parents shielded you. They found a way to make sure there's food on your table. They found a way to make sure you're shielded from certain comments. Certain places you wanted to go for, for a holiday, they found a way of you not going there because they knew there was something you were going to hear which was going to affect ABCD. So, I think a shield should then be repaired and helped. But in essence, when God made man, he made defenders. He made, and that's why all throughout history, majority of the people who are protecting, majority, I'm not saying all, physically were, were usually the men. So rather than remove their place and leaving men having no identity because they don't know whether to be female or male, <laughs> the best is to give them safe places because we've discovered they also have emotions. So now, there is the I can do it alone mentality. And to be fair, I've seen it a lot with men. The I can do it alone. I've seen more cliques and groups with ladies. Men, you'd be amazed. They're in a clique. The other guy doesn't know that this other guy, this is happening. Who also doesn't know that this other guy, this is happening? When they meet, it's just, ah, laka. Wait, we're not tamba. <laughs> and that's why many people are turning to vices like drinking and the like, because that's the only time they can open up. So, but yet, that, and, and you know, like, especially in these circles, we may have to be a bit more deliberate about it. I'm saying this because, honestly speaking, sometimes it's very difficult to text, bro, how are you holding up? How are you feeling? <laughs> You guys don't know how hard it is. <laughs> how are you feeling? Haven't you noticed that most men who share how they are feeling share with their female friends? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> no. <laughs> Turn to a man and ask, how are you? <laughs> You're doing well? <laughs> Anyways, like I said, there are different kinds of people. There are other people who, when you ask, how are you, it will be difficult. There are others, before you even ask, when you're on how are, my life. <laughs> but now, when it comes to this aspect of doing it alone, it can help you in moments where you need to make, let's say, controversial decisions, or it can help you in certain moments. On the other hand, being alone makes you a primary target for Satan. It makes you a serious target for Satan. The Bible says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
If you study the way lions hunt, they always look for the weakest and then they isolate them. They don't like attacking when they are together. So if you just take a look at that Joe Wild, you'll notice when the lions do their first attack, it's to scatter everyone. And then the one who was crushed in the stampede or the weak one or the young one, they will surround and that's the one they go for. They never go for the strongest. They never go for the strongest. And that's why an army doesn't project individual skills. And even the strongest people in the army need backup. That's why Jesus sent them two by two. So you may be a person who's reserved, but at least, anyways, it's one of the points, at least have one or two people who you can talk to honestly. Don't do the I can stand alone thing. Check all the people in the Bible who said, who were alone. Notice something about them. Majority wanted to abort the assignment eventually. Elijah said, God, I want to die. What was happening there? And, what, and when God spoke to him, he said, I've remained alone. And God said, there are actually 7,000 others. Also observe that that's the day Elijah's assignment finished. Notice what God told Elijah. He said, go and anoint Jehu and the other guy in your place. Elisha and Jehu in your place. And says, whom Elisha cannot deal with, Jehu cannot deal with. Who deal with? And then in Ecclesiastes, we are told there is one who's alone. Being alone can be, I'm, I'm telling you, and it's, hey, this one I need to mention. Can we go to the book of Ecclesiastes? The last time I preached uh, Valley of Decisions, um, someone made a comment which made me laugh. They said, Pastor, it's like you cut me open and stitched me again. So Ecclesiastes 4 verse 8. I want you to see this. And I really hope you're getting some of the thoughts I'm communicating. Being alone, like I said, it's got its moments where it can help you. There are some decisions you may have to make in isolation. But don't let that become your place or your go-to place. Never let being alone be your go-to place. God already said it from the beginning. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not a good thing actually. And that's also usually where exaggerations come in. I'll give you an example of an exaggeration. Nobody understands. Let me tell you why I say so. The moment you say nobody understands, you're setting your defenses high. That if anyone even dares try to understand you, you've already passed a judgment on their level of understanding. I don't think anyone will ever be able to fully understand you apart from God, but I think to an extent, they can at least try. 70%, 75%, 81% is still an A. So at least... <laughs> it says there is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity, a grave misfortune. Being alone is vanity because at the end of the day, we all like to live for others. Let me give you an example. Have you ever just had like that nice meal? And then you're thinking, ah, I need to bring that one here as well so that we have it together. 
be careful with that aspect. I know, like I say, because for me, it's one of the ones which I can say I've constantly had to fight. As well that I'm one of those characters who can like take myself out alone. Like I don't know, I don't know if there's anyone like that. Like I, <laughs> I remember a few years ago, I went to, I wanted to rest, so I went to Chaminuka, and I was spending the night there, and I went alone, and then I met some people who, can you know me? I'm, I'm a bit non, just a little bit. They're like, ah, you're Pastor Frederick. Um, I know you. I see you on Django statuses, and there were like a group of them. And they're like, I know you can come with us. I'm like, no. <laughs> yes, I went with them on the game drive. And they're like, then I met you at dinner. I waited for them to be seated. Then I found a seat alone. I, ju- I really just wanted my own company. Like, I'm very... <laughs> I know there are different kinds of people in this world, right? Uh, there are others who always need a group. Like, you can't eat alone. And then there are others who the food tastes better. (laughs) What I'm saying is you don't necessarily have to become the most outgoing person but identify the fact that you can't always be alone. It says there's one alone without companion. Look at the next verse. It says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. At least have one friend at least one. And then if you go on, let's continue. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. But what to him who is alone when he falls? For he has no one to help him up. Do you see that? If they fall, at least one will lift the other one up. One of the things that really made it easy for me when the church started is that it's around the same period of time that Pastor Daniel also started. So if that day attendance is low, we just call each other and laugh. Ah, today, this was the number. Yeah, even you. <laughs> Somehow it felt better. <laughs> okay, let's, let's agree in prayer. Yeah. I don't know if you're getting my point. I remember I wasn't happy with the list, the numbers that were getting saved some, one, two months ago. I wasn't happy. And so we met to pray. And specifically, that was one of the prayer points. And for some reason, that Sunday, we both had the same number of people getting saved. Wow. So it, it, it really helps, right? Let's continue. Again, if two lie together, they will keep warm. How can one be warm alone? Next verse. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. So here is my suggestion. At least have two. At least two. Because the threefold cord is not easily broken. And here we're not counting God. He's with us. On, on, God, is the, God is the fourth man. Even in the scriptures in Daniel, he appeared as the fourth man. So here we're not counting him because he was already with Adam when he said it's not good for man to be alone. So at least have two. Can, is that okay? So no matter how you reserved you are, at least have two. It's very, very helpful. I remember Catherine Kuman made a quote and if you've studied on Catherine Kuman, one of the people who was really anointed, but if you study her in her depth, in her death, she sounded depressed when she was dying. And I, Oral Roberts went to lay, was it Oral who went to lay hands on her? And she said, no, I don't want. And there's a quote she used to make, and she would say, where you're surrounded by thousands, 
but you feel like you're the only one in the world. Is that you? If it is, open your eyes. God usually puts what you need around you. And the challenge with emotional issues, and I want to tell you, and I want you to hear me and hear me well. This one, you can quote me on this. The biggest challenge with it, especially things like that graduate to the place of depression, is you must understand that if you're experiencing depression, there is one school of thought that is, it's okay to not be okay and ABCD, right? Now, the Frederick School of Thought is that you must recognize it as an enemy. That's, that's my school of thought. The same way if there's malaria or something, you recognize it as an enemy. That's why you're trying to cure it. By that, I mean don't settle for it. I'm not saying panic, but don't settle for it. And then you must also understand how that enemy works. Haven't you noticed that we read on everything? Like, let's say if somebody has uh, something fluish, they will read that, oh, don't eat this, eat this, don't do this, do this. And one thing I noticed from my study of it, and it wasn't an academic study, it's a study through uh, several encounters I've had in ministering, is that how depression works is that the first thing it will do is that it will mark its territory, and then it will try to defend its territory from everyone else. And the first people to attack is those who want to help you. I'll say it, and I'll say it again. Usually, when somebody says, nobody loves me, nobody understands me, nobody ABCD, they're not really thinking of Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. Usually, the people they are thinking of are the closest people to them. And here's what I'll say. As much as we always promote the check on your friend's school of thought. On the other hand, if you get offended, the Bible says a brother offended is like a strong tower. What happens is that you can end up building this fortified city that makes it difficult for you to be checked on. What am I trying to say? Don't let emotional issues isolate you from those who should help you. They may not fully understand, but appreciate the fact that they are willing to be there. Amen. Somebody say, I am loved. I am loved. Shout it, I'm loved. I am loved. Okay, I need to rush and I need to end. I need to rush and end. There is a school of thought that says, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> That's the Christian way of saying, que sera, sera. In the world, it's what? Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be, right? There is a holy way of saying it. Ah, Jesus, just take the wheel. He's not going to do that. No, let me just, let me, let me put it like this. That's a very incomplete revelation. I don't know. You want you to take it where? And take it. He doesn't drive the car for you. The Holy Spirit is not there to drive for you. Otherwise, he will be the one judged on your behalf. The Holy Spirit is there to be your GPS. So, when it comes to decision making, 
that childish, and I'm, I'm not mincing my words here, that childish thing of if it's supposed to be like this, it would, if this relationship is supposed to work out, it will work. If God, if this person is not supposed to be the one for me, after, you've already said yes. Afterwards, if this person is not supposed to be the one for me, then it just won't work. And you find in the same relationship is even dirty. No, what am I trying to say? That's, and it's just like Jesus take the wheel. That's not how it works. Even the earth that God gave Adam, God told Adam now take the wheel. That's why God could judge Adam. And when he said, it's the woman you gave me. Are you serious, Adam? Are you serious? He also gave you the animals. You chose the woman. <laughs> I don't know if you're getting my point. So, listen. I'm speaking from experience. I've tried it before. I remember one time we were having a conference at DK for WEM. And then, I kept having dreams of a bigger venue. A bigger venue. Then the day before the conference, I received a call saying things are rough this side. They've told us that there's this and this, so the hall is not available. That's the day before when we had advertised it. So I went on my knees. Oh God, take the wheel. Then I realized that I had already been praying. So I prayed for two minutes and then I stood up. <laughs> and I remember we went to, and God had done his part. That day was very interesting because it showed me how God can work. Uh, Syriacus came to see me that day. She came at six. And she said, I needed to give you this. I was so tired. A bit irritated. Like, how do you come see me at six? <laughs> and she gave me, I think it was a thousand kwacha. So I just put it in my pocket. Went back to sleep. And then I received those phone calls. And then, uh, I wasn't driving by then. I don't think I was driving. I think Pastor Cho is the one who drove me around that day. She used to drive me around almost every weekend when I wasn't driving. And we go to Dickie and I see the room they've offered us. I'm like, no, we can't bring God here. And so we go about and start looking for the venue. God had already given the vision. God had already done ABCD, but it was now up to us to make decisions. He wasn't going to step down from heaven and announce on Facebook, hi guys, it's now like this, 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 this. No, we had to make decisions. We had to take charge. That's how we look for it. That's how we found Yumbayanga. And then they said, okay, leave a deposit. Then I touched my pocket and there was that. Oh, that, that, that money I was given. So he gives me the fuel, but then there was that money that Srihakas had given me in the morning. So, like, oh, here's a deposit. And then we had to manage the situation on Facebook. We didn't come tell you, oh, guys, it was rough. No, we just announced we needed a bigger venue. So this is... <laughs> because not everyone deserved to know everything that was happening. If you wanted to know, that's how we moved to Nibayanga in that period. So, the issue of praying that circumstances just sort themselves out, and then those circumstances, you give them a name called the will of God. That part must come to an end. Ladies and gentlemen, and it's in every area, even in areas of friendship, the mindset of if uh, you love something, let it go. If it was really yours, it will come back. Don't let some things go. Some friendships fight for them. Listen. 
if a person is worth it, there are times you have to you have to show them that you think they are worth it. They may not always come back. <laughs> I'm very serious. There are some things in life you have to put your foot down and say, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll humble myself here. This is worth fighting for. So if you sit down and let circumstances decide everything for you, you will have a challenge. I'm very serious about that one. Praise God. And so the don't give circumstances that much power. Sometimes, you know, you will never feel better about something until you decide to. Are you aware that there are some people you will never forgive with time? It can even get worse. You know that there are some people you will only forgive by decision. By decision, like, okay, Lord, today I've decided. The next day it comes back, Lord, okay, even today I've decided. The next day. And, and you know the thing about things like forgiveness is that forgiveness and healing are not the same thing. You can forgive someone, but maybe you've just not yet healed. Sometimes you may have to do it 70 times, 7 times in a day. But what I'm saying is that there are some things that just never get better by deciding. It's like people who like cost through a semester and just believe somehow they'll pass the exam. And then my phone is ringing, Pastor. Pastor, this time, if you can just pray for me. I need a bat God in that paper. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, eh? Almost every person I have met, and it may sound funny, but I know I'm touching a hurtful area, who's had a challenge with an exam. 90%, if not 95, it's either been a problem with the school, a problem with the lecturer, a problem with the paper. Maybe that's why a majority of people who've had a challenge with one exam struggle with it over and over again. And we've had, I've also seen a lot of people who the problem was the school, and then they go somewhere else and it's still the school. They change from law, as in, I've, especially like those with like bougie parents, like you meet them this time, they're in a suit, they're a lawyer. You meet them the next time in a lab court. No, 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 no. I realized that wasn't the course for me. Me it's, uh, me, it's medicine. You meet them again. The next time, Pazikas. <laughs> What's going on? No, accounts. <laughs> I'm like, huh? Praise God for you. You even have a choice. <laughs> Some of us were fighting for BC. If you fail the exam. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say here is perhaps there are all those external factors and I'm not denying that they're usually there. But could it be that everyone in the world is those external factors? Could there also be times we can look at ourselves and how we did our studies as well? That way we can improve. Could we tell ourselves, okay, let me improve to such a level that even if there are external factors, there's, there's only so much they can do. Imagine if we had that mindset. Praise God. Let me, let me just finalize. So how we can improve a few things, I'll say these things quickly because I may not have another Sunday to say this. Number one, work on your value system. Identify what are your values, your principles, your ideas of purpose, your ideas of life. 
for example, if you value being helpful in life, and these are things as I'm entering, for me, as I'm entering 2022, I actually believe in writing down reflective resolutions. So there are some things that, these are things that I think about. For example, I've been asking myself the question, uh, do people come to church because we've taught them loyalty or because I'm really a good pastor? There will be days it's loyalty. But how can I do it in such a way that the majority of the time, it's really because I'm the best pastor for them? Am I teaching them the way I'm supposed to be teaching? Do I study before I teach? Do I pray before I teach them? I've asked myself a lot of questions, including, am I a nice person? Am I nice to people? Do I ABCD? I noticed, for example, in 2019, a number of people, even those I was close to, had a challenge with me because... I don't know whether it was the masters or what, but I got so obsessed with being objective that I was ignoring everything else. As long as it's not objective, then... So I noticed a number of people were not liking that. They were, they were hurt about it. And so I decided 2020, one of my resolutions was to respect emotions and to respect that emotions are not always objective. Like you may... They, they, they don't always have a proper explanation. But they are real and, and, and the like. And then, on the other hand, peace is also like that. Peace doesn't need an explanation. If you're going to accept that. Because it says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. So I, I had noticed that for a while. Maybe, I, like I said, especially when doing the masters, everything became out. Karl Marx argued this. This one argued this. This one argued this. And then I'm someone who it's very difficult to out-argue me. So I realized people are having a challenge just saying, I feel like this. Praise God. So I've been analyzing. So 2021, I want to just be nicer, you know, just be a nicer person. And these are very important things to do. I'll give you an example. Um, every two, three months or something like that, I'll sit down with my wife and I'll ask, okay, is there any area of my husbanding that you think I should improve? No, I'm very serious because if you don't get the feedback from the actual people, then you'll be analyzing everyone from your point of view. Yeah, like, is there any area I can actually be better in? Okay, what do you think about that? Oh, so you thought of that like that. My view was that it was like, oh, I see. I don't forget my point. And from what I've read in the scriptures, me being the head of the house, I should be more understanding than her. That's from my study of the scriptures. Because it says, husband, understand your wives. Reason being, if push comes to shove, at the end of the day, I can always pull the card of, I'm the head of the house, so do this. So because I know I have that much divine authority, why not then be the most understanding? Isn't that the Jesus way? It says, rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. But that is not so with you. So that's, that's just something we can do. Like, we can actually reflect and try to be better people. Like, what are your values? Like, what do you really want to be known for? Like, if, any, if there's something somebody is going to call you for, what is it going to be? What, what, what should somebody expect if they give you a call today? For me, I can tell you what someone should expect if they called me. You should expect frankness. You should expect somebody who won't pretend, I don't know how to. I've tried. I don't know how to. But really, somebody should expect care. That's really what I'm going for. I'm hoping for that. And I'm trying. Okay? And the, advantage, the thing is, you may not always get it right, but at least you can improve. So write those things down. Like, what are your values? What, what do you really stand for? What are your principles? 
If you value purity, you have been for conferences. There are questions I've never asked. Since you're my church, by the way, I hope no one has got a challenge with me saying you're my church. You know, people are so political sometimes. How can a pastor quit his church? But then the member can say my church. It's not an issue. <laughs> Anyways, so since you're my church, I can be frank with you. I've been for I don't know how many conferences and I hated question and answer sessions. Because the questions were not really for the sake of answers. So just for comedy. And they were just a reflection of what people thought. So I'm here. I've come to learn about all the questions where, so is it wrong to masturbate? Is it wrong to kiss? Is it wrong to do this, 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 this? Now, I'm not saying someone shouldn't ask if they have a question. But I would see situations where every conference, the same people ask the same questions. Then it was really just a joke for them. And then I realized something. For a majority of people, it was just a reflection of their values. If you value purity, perhaps the question will become, how can I get out of pornography? It won't really be, is it wrong to watch it? What's wrong about it? If you value purity, it will be, how can I? It, it will be somebody looking for a way out and not somebody looking for an endorsement. That's what it will be. Yeah. Okay, but today I'm kneeling. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> I usually say it in my heart. But write down your values. And then I'm almost done. Ish, I sound like such a pastor today. He said I'm almost done twice. Look out for auto-suggestions that will show you whether you need to renew your mind. Get your phone. Type the words I am. Type I am. Like in your chat. Just type I am. I am. Okay, what's the suggested word? Sorry? Amen? Grateful? Are you guys seeing that there's a suggested word afterwards, right? So, amen. What else? Glad? Will? Amazing? Faith? Fine? Now, that word hasn't come up with itself. It's, come, it's an algorithm that has come out of what you usually type. Cancel that. Type in my Type in my. In my. What I, what, what a majority of you getting? <laughs> now, do you know that it works the same way? So my question is this. When a situation appears, what's the first thought that comes to your mind? Let me give you an example. I say something you're not happy with. Is your first thought, I need to leave this church? If that's your first thought, there's a chance it will be your first thought if you leave. Now, here, no, here's what I mean. I had a situation where like a group of like five, six people came to me and said they had left somewhere else because of ABCD and they had joined us. I was very happy. Then one of them, we had a difference. We disagreed on something. I had a different view. They all left. Chances are high, and now that's six people. Chances are high that if where they go together, one of them there's a difference, they'll all leave. It means it's their auto suggest. Is your auto suggest can we fix this? Is your auto suggest can this be sorted? I've just given an example close to home. Now I'm not in any way suggesting that we've not given people reasons to leave before. 
perhaps there are sometimes we've mishandled people. But what I'm trying to say is, if that's the first thought on your mind, could it be that if you had to check your life, it also applies to other areas? Do you have a flight mentality? Do you have a, do you have a mentality where, is it flight or is it, you know what, let's face it, let's face the music. Can you actually pick up the phone and call your friend and say, okay, I've not liked the way you've been talking. There's that joke you crack. I hate it. It makes me feel like, um, it makes me feel ugly. I hate it. There's that nickname you've given me. You can't be calling me an animal. I hate it. I, I don't know. Do we have such friendships? Well, we can say, okay, that statement, that line, don't be saying it. You think people enjoy being called, hey, you buffoon. You think people actually enjoy that? <laughs> deep, in, deep inside. It may be funny every day, but there'll be a day when they're in that state. They'll be like, ah, me, a buffoon. And by the way, don't wait for them to always call you. Sometimes you can see it on a person's face that when I talk like this, they really just don't like it. Okay? So what's your auto-suggest? Your auto-suggest will help you know whether your mind needs renewing. If today you, you had a bad grade, is the first thought, I'll end my life. If it is, listen, I'm not saying ignore it. If it is, take that seriously. It means there's an auto-suggest in your mind that suggests that if something looks bleak, your life must end. Then, when you take it seriously, we'll then sit down and discuss and we'll analyze and we'll say, hey, to what extent do you value your life? To what extent do you value the impact you have on, your world, on the world? Most, to what extent do you think the world needs you? Most likely you'll find that extent might be low. To what extent do you value this? And if it's like that, why do you think like that? Why do you, we start asking the whys, the whys, it can get complicated, it can get rough, it may take time, but at least we'll be, we'll be improving you and we'll, we'll raise a fighter in you such that if that thought ever comes again, you've got a reason to fight. So sometimes it's not that maybe we might delete the, the thought forever, but we might at least raise a fighter, someone who will fight it. What's your auto-suggest? Is your auto-suggest, let me just go drink. I can give you an, a personal example. I noticed that my auto-suggest to feeling broke was spending. If I felt like, this is how little my money is, I'll just go to the show. Pa, 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 pa. We see the job there. <laughs> we see the them. <laughs> that one has hit home. <laughs> and then I, the third one is identify pillars in your life who are the men and women who matter who are those people who are the say you can't be and I don't care what everybody thinks who are the people in your life who actually have a say who you care about their thought you may not always follow it but at least you care enough to know it identify your pillars in life pillars are very important without pillars this building wouldn't stand if we're in a reflective session, I would ask you right now, saying, who are your pillars? In Isaiah 30, the Bible says, although the Lord, verse 20, although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. But your eyes will see your teachers. One of the blessings is when your eyes can see your teachers. 
And he says, your ears shall hear a word behind you. So notice that there's a connection between identifying not just pillars, but even those who are your teachers. There's a connection between identifying your teachers and direction. Have you ever read that verse? Most people think that verse only applies to the Holy Spirit. But look at this verse, verse 20. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your eyes, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. But your eyes will see your teachers. That's a blessing. It's a blessing in life to know who's got the right to speak in your life. It's a blessing to know who can advise you over which job to pick among the three. It's a blessing to know who can advise you whether you should marry that girl. Or whether you should get married to that man. It's a blessing. And those are people that you should consult before you make decisions. And it says your eyes shall see your teachers. Some of them will come as your pastor. Some of them will come as your leader. Some even as your friends. There are times they will take a role of your teacher. And then what does, what's the very next word? Your ears will hear a word behind you saying this is the way. Walk in it. So meaning identifying your pillars and direction go synonymously you'll find it easy to have direction when you know the people whose word matters. And that's why you'll find that when you're not sure of something, those are the people that if you're hiding something from them, you should ask yourself a question. That's why I get shocked. You're in this ministry and none of your leaders know that uh, there's that person you're seeing. Why, why haven't you said anything? If someone is to come to me today and tell me, oh, pastor, there's ABCD, so in like the next three weeks, someone will be reaching like ABCD, I'll, I'll ask, listen, I've, I've come to accept that I can't know everything because it's now a big church. I don't even know everyone's name. But I'll ask, what do your leaders know? I'll, I'll, I'll try to find out if at least maybe your cell leader or like maybe your department head or your department head is looking behind. Honestly, I'll be curious. I want to know if they actually have an idea that, oh, there's something like this going on. Now, if all of us are blank, blank, no, as in we're all amazed, like we stand amazed <laughs> in your presence, then there are two options. Either you just didn't know or you're hiding something. Anyways, we ask questions. Oh, okay. ABCD. What are your principles on ABCD? So, ladies and gentlemen, I've got a lot of things to tell you. But I think for today, the last thing I'll say is trust God. You may not have it all figured out, but if you develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you understand that the Holy Spirit has been sent on earth as our in-between. He's our in-between. It's a revelation. Have you heard that song by Ada where she says, the first and last and the distance in between. To an extent, have you noticed that the Holy Spirit is the in-between? Have you observed that? Like he's the one who God has sent to walk you through the path from the beginning of what Christ did until you reach that place. He's the one who God has sent to actually guide you. If you develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you usually figure out your in-between. And the way he communicates is that he may not always tell you, if you've used GPS before, sometimes he'll just tell you when you reach there, 10 left. He may not say, afterwards you'll see this and see that and see that and see that and see that and see that. He doesn't always reveal everything, but if you have him with you. Have you ever been going somewhere you don't know, but you're with someone who knows the place? 
they don't necessarily need to tell you the entire roadmap. As long as they're just telling you, let's turn there now. Let's turn there now. Let's turn there now. Praise God. Develop that relationship. And in developing this relationship with God, you're going to have to learn to talk to him. You know what I mean? Um, God, I'll be preaching this Sunday. What's your view on what I should share? Do I always hear an answer? No. But do you know what I'm doing when I'm doing that? I'm sowing a seed of honor that I honor God's voice when it comes to sermons. Will it then surprise me if just before I preach, I hear him say, share on this? No, because I've already sown a seed of honor. So God, what's your view on this decision? Like, you know, you can actually sit and just talk. Like, okay, hi God, you're my God. You already said I'll be your God, Shan Shan. So I'm just removing the KJV aside for, I'm not going to do the thou, thy, this, there. Like God, can you imagine, today I was laughed at. <laughs> it felt so bad. A, B, C, D. Uh, thank you for listening. I talk to God about anything. Whether it looks childish, it looks... I talk to him about anything. David said, search my heart. Know me. Know even my anxieties. That's what David said. Now, when he says know my anxieties, it's not like head knowledge. It means there's some form of interaction, like some form of koinonia where God can even remind you, hey... Remember last time we spoke about that jealousy issue? Come on, don't be jealous. It's because like, you've reached such a place of relationship where he can touch any area. I can tell, I'm telling the Spirit of God doesn't leave me alone when I'm tempted to feel jealous. He doesn't leave me alone. That one. So have that relationship. And he wants it with everyone. If you want more information on that one, buy the book. <laughs> By the way, it's not like any other book launch. Due to the nature of the conference, I will not be able to sign books on the material day. But for those who pre-order and those who pay in advance, the team will have me sign before the conference. So now, is there anyone here who's not born again? Here's how you know the simplest way. Is that if the Lord Jesus came today, you'll have to negotiate your way in. You're not so sure if you'll come in. And really, in essence, being born again is a decision. You make a decision say, okay, I'm going to abandon anything else and I'll walk in the Lord Jesus' way of life. And backsliding as well is a decision to decide, okay, I'm done with the Lord Jesus, his principles, his rules, I don't like them so much, so I'll follow my own. But is there anyone here who's saying, Pastor, I want to be born again. I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow how... He wants me to live life. I want to submit my life to him. If that is you, and perhaps you may even be in a situation where you were on this path, but you walked away. I want you to be very honest with yourself. And I would like you to make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus today. So if that's you, just raise your hand. Lift your hands. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I make a decision to follow you. Amen. Congratulations. Now, let me pray for you. Perhaps just make a confession with me first. Say, in the name of Jesus, I have a sound mind. Say, in the name of Jesus, 
I have the mind of Christ. I make the right decisions. In the name of Jesus, I recognize that God has given me everything I need. In terms of wisdom, in terms of people, to navigate life. So in the name of Jesus, may my eyes see my teachers. And say in the name of Jesus, may I also see those whom I should be a pillar to. Say in Jesus' name, may I be an answered prayer in somebody's life. And Father, I pray for your people. Lord, there are multitudes upon multitudes in the valley of decisions. I pray, oh God, help them. Help them. Help them. I pray, oh Lord, for those who've made some bad decisions, that have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. Where the decisions have cost them, have mercy on them. Have mercy on all of us for any decisions we've made that have made us not partake of the blessing or where we've made decisions that have harmed other people, have mercy on us. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for those who are suffering in their minds and in their hearts as a result of decisions other people have made over them. I pray, give them grace to forgive and give them grace to heal. Lord, give, give grace for people to identify areas that need to be worked on. Help us in the name of Jesus. We are not ashamed to say we need your help. <laughs> and we are so glad because you are our ever-present help in times of need. Now I bless you all. You finish strong and you start the new year well. In Jesus' name. Now the grace, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the extravagant love of God and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and will dwell in the house of the Lord. service. I have been so blessed and I know you have been too. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. You can reach the City of the Lord Church on 0 If you are unable to call, you can email us on thecityofthelordzambia at gmail.com or reach us on Facebook at the City of the Lord Church. Stay blessed.